0: and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Today's guest is Dr. Heather Hernandez, an organist from Phoenix, Arizona, and um, she is uh, an choir accompanist and organist uh, uh, for the Catholic Church uh, there and uh, she has lots of insights to share today with uh, how to manage uh, your time when you have uh, family responsibilities uh, right, uh, what can be inspiring when you have family, and also heather will will share her experience uh, uh, when uh, m- studying uh, in Paris uh, with the great French master Madame Langlais and you will find all about her research uh, her research topic was on chant based works by Naji Hakim, so I hope you will find this conversation inspiring. And uh, you will use her insights in your practice. Our connection wasn't particularly uh, good and I hope you can forgive us a little bit of uh, technical difficulties we were having and sound uh, delays. But I hope you can uh, understand uh, uh, most of the things that uh, uh, we were talking about with Heather so let's go to the show so welcome Heather I'm so delighted that uh, we're having this conversation Um, we've been uh, colleagues at uh, UNL at the University of uh, Nebraska at Lincoln but many many years ago right Uh, tell me tell me this uh, uh, when was the last time we spoke
1: I moved to Arizona in 2004 after finishing my coursework, so it must have been that semester.
0: Great. So, uh, a lot of things uh, have happened, right? So, but for the beginning, uh, can you uh, tell our listeners around the world uh, um, basically a a little bit about yourself? Who are you and uh, what do you do?
1: Okay, well, I am Heather Hernandez and I've been playing organ for church since I was 13. And currently, I'm the organist at St. Thomas the Apostle Catholic Church here in Phoenix.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, we will talk about uh, more in, in more detail in a minute. But usually, um, I'd like to know uh, how how you uh, first fall in love with the organ. Do you remember uh, the time from your childhood? M- maybe somebody introduced to you the organ. Can you tell us the story?
1: Yes, definitely my childhood. I started with piano lessons when I was about seven, but I grew up in the Episcopal Church, and heard the organ played every Sunday at service, and sort of just, you know, absorbed it, never really thought about it, and then later, as playing the piano, my um, piano teacher also played the organ at her church, and I just got more interested in this instrument where you could have all these sounds instead of just the one piano sound, and then I... Started lessons, and the rest is history.
0: Fantastic! And uh, what was the first organ you touched and played? Do you remember?
1: Yeah, so it was the one at um, Grace Episcopal Church in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and it was in Austin. Hmm. Austin.
0: And then, yeah, Austin. What kind of uh, what kind of organ that was? Maybe do you remember the number of manuals?
1: Uh, two manuals.
0: Two manuals, right. Uh, was it um, yeah. electro-pneumatical or mechanical action? Do you remember that?
1: Electro-pneumatic.
0: Pneumatic, okay.
1: Yeah, I didn't play a tracker until much
0: later. Oh, fantastic. And uh, what kind of room uh, in that church uh, you found? Maybe that was a reverberant room or, uh, or dry acoustics?
1: pretty dry they have
0: red carpet in church Mm -hmm. fantastic so you you had a musical beginning right you had a good piano background right and uh, uh, that really usually helps uh, uh, as as you know with the organ right to have a good piano technique do you advise uh, organ uh, organists around the world to start their studies at the piano first or they can try the organ first um, I
1: think I think
0: piano is very helpful. Piano helpful, right? Uh, right. Add me mm-hmm. on the organ. Or oh, how about? Uh, are there any uh, difficulties for the pianists uh, who who first play the organ? Uh, do Do you have to adjust the touch a little bit, or the the depression of the keys are different? Uh, how do you think? Yes,
1: yes yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Adjust. Great.
1: To legato and connect notes, releases. I don't think about releases as much with piano like you do with the organ. Then um, the biggest obstacle is learning to play with your feet, and so you're using a different line for your feet versus what the left hand is doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I remember when I started, I, I did have, you know, difficulty with that, but I knew I would be.
0: Mhm. Uh I remember uh, Heather uh, we first met um through our uh, uh f- former professor um Pamela Reuter-Finstra, Do you remember her? Oh yes. Right. Yeah, she
1: was my first big mentor after I went to um college.
0: Mhm. And um can you tell us a little bit uh, how did your studies uh, with Pamela go?
1: Uh, She was the first one that just really exposed me to tons of organ literature, and so I play everything from early music to contemporary music. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was the first one that just really opened my eyes to the unlimited possibilities of the organ, and encouraged me to go to Europe. So I went to the academy in Italy, and then I ended up studying in Paris.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. We will talk about Italy and Paris just in, in a moment. But I remember too when I first met Pamela, uh, Pamela in Sweden, in um, in Gothenburg uh, Organ Academy, in back in in 2000, uh, together with Oshara, uh, and uh, yes, she was uh, very very. Um, uh, generous with her insights, uh, how to play the early music and and how to try different keyboards, for example, clavichord, right? Did you oh, yeah. have, did you have experience with clavichord uh, when we were studying with Pamela?
1: No, I didn't. I only had the clavichord when I went to the academy in Italy, mm-hmm. and I didn't do anything with harpsichord until I was at UNL.
0: Right, right. So uh, Italy, uh, you you did go to Smarano Organ Academy, as I understand, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. How that di- was in
1: 1999.
0: 1999, great. Um, how did you find? Uh, how did you find those uh, those uh, Italian organs? Uh, were they very difficult, dif- different from your experience in the United States?
1: Um, the one that I was mainly playing, which I think was in Toronto, I can't remember exactly where it was, um, was more of a North German style, mm-hmm. but it was definitely my biggest. Exposure at the time with you know larger tracker organs. Before that, I'd only played the obedient at um, the former Cornerstone Church. Mm-hmm.
0: Right, and Italian organs, uh, of course, uh, w- uh, are generally very gentle in touch. Right. Uh, yes. But obedient organs uh, That you, you mentioned uh, Opus 8 At former uh, Cornerstone Chapel Also had this uh, This gentle touch But I would uh, I would think More Italian influence Is uh, uh, On uh, St. Mark's On the campus Do you remember that instrument? Yes, or At UNL? Yes right. I actually
2: Played
1: that one But I Knew mm-hmm. about it
0: Great So What happened first Your studies uh, um, In uh, in your Academy in Smerano in Italy or your your studies in Paris what happened first
1: um, Italy was actually right before I went to Paris so I finished my master's at UNL in 1999 mm-hmm. and then that August I went to the Smerano Academy and then in late September early October is when I moved to Paris
0: Mm-hmm. Fantastic Do you remember uh, the title or the topic of your master's uh, thesis?
1: Um, I actually didn't have a master's thesis because it was a performance program But mm-hmm. I did my two recitals I played a recital in Kimball, mm-hmm. Recital Hall And then I had an early music uh, recital at Cornerstone
0: Right Do you remember what was the most challenging uh, thing uh, during that time for you uh, in During master program?
1: Um, well, that was actually the one time I didn't have a church position. The first year I had a graduate teaching assistantship for accompanying. So that's actually when I really got into more piano playing and accompanying soloists. And then the second year I was a graduate teaching assistant for um, music history.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Was it difficult uh, to, to assist professors? Uh? To, uh, to grade papers like that, right? Tell me, tell us a little bit uh, what kind of responsibilities did you have at that time?
1: Um, that second year for music history I was actually doing a lot of bibliography research mm-hmm. um, for the different um, textbooks for Baroque class, medieval class, 20th century class, mm-hmm. romantic class. Um, the professor I was helping was working on some Big project, and he needed lots of bibliography stuff updated, so mm-hmm. I did a lot of that right then teaching
0: uh, but but of course um, um, your bibliography skills uh, researching skills of course did help you later on right uh, when yes. when you were preparing more extensive document like d m a right uh, yes. obviously, so we'll talk about also um very, it's very interesting that. United States uh, educational system uh, at the time w- I found very diffi- different from Lithuanian because uh, as you know uh, we finished with our uh, our first masters in Lithuania but then we have to had to finish our uh, second masters at the Eastern Michigan University and you know what stru- struck me or even us both of us this this focus on research you see yeah. uh, this uh, requirement, not only to perform, but also to do some, some reading and writing and discussing and thinking, basically doing research, right, gathering materials. Do you think that's, um, that's a good trend in American system?
1: Um, well, it definitely helped my performance skills, but the research part is important too. Mm-hmm. So it, it was difficult to balance all that, especially at the DMA level
0: right they usually okay. say they usually say that if you want to be a good performer like a concert organist right you don't need uh, you don't need basically DMA degree for that right you, you have to win maybe competitions go to uh, to study for performance certificates and other performance diplomas right but not necessarily this research degree or, or doctorate degree right um uh, did you find in yourself, did your your research help the performance or vice versa, maybe as a researcher you were more benefited by your performance practice and skills?
1: I think the research definitely much more well-rounded mm. position. Right. Instead of just, you know, sitting down and a score and, yes, I can play this, but do I really understand it and can I... Convey it to the audience so it you know, it makes sense, it's not just this technical show. Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, uh, uh, a lot of people who start to play the organ or the piano first and then later transfer to the organ, a lot of people f- fall in love with the repertoire, with m- magnificent organ works b- of Bach, uh, other composers like Frank and Vidor, right? And they, yes. they try to play them uh, and maybe manage to do them technically well, right? Or well enough. Yes. But, uh, but a lot of people lack this... Uh, this um, Well-rounded knowledge, as you say, uh, this theoretical background, right? To to see through the notes, to to translate the notes, right? So, do you think that it's important to analyze the pieces?
1: I think so. Right, especially organists. I mean, organs are so different, you know, throughout the country and the time periods. You know, the way I play from Mm -hmm. America is not totally the same as on a (laughs) French organ but you have to know how they all worked. I mean, that was one reason I wanted to study in Paris was so I could play the French organs in France.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Great, so let's talk a little bit about your experience uh, in Paris. Uh, how did you first uh, became aware of the possibility for you to go? Uh, where, where was the um, uh, influencer or who inspired you to go?
1: Okay, well, that actually all started in um, 1996. Um, I was doing my last year at Bethany College, and she was now teaching at Eastern Michigan. And it was the first year I had email, so we were still in touch by email, and she had just gone to the University of Michigan conference, and Marie-Louise Longley was there for one of the speakers, recitalists. big, big... Um, event. I don't even know. It may have been a long way event. I can't remember. But anyway, so she just wrote back. I was working on where I was going to go to grad school for my master's, and then she said that Smedalmongle was looking for American students to come study with her in Paris, and she got her contact information, and I wrote to her that she didn't have email at that time, so I wrote to her, and we wrote back and forth, and we just managed to get it all worked out that I would go after I finished my master's at UNL, and i went it's a little bit different than in the united states you don't get in and have your audition until the school year is just starting
2: uh-huh. so i
1: had to move there and do the entrance exam and then stay
0: uh huh was it a little bit uh, scary for you to go all alone uh, to the foreign <laughs> country and foreign city uh, to the big city like paris right and um, did you did you did you find that city if friendly enough and the french system friendly
1: enough lot, um, but yes it was very scary and i was worried because she never heard me play mm-hmm. so i sent a cassette tape recording at my master's recital and that's when she encouraged me to come but the entrance exam was with an outside jury so she couldn't guarantee me that i would get in it was up to the jury and everyone plays the set and program mm-hmm. so yeah. You know, I pulled them in. Band, but yes, it was very scary and I didn't know French. I just went in summer school, the summer before I went, so my French was not very good at all. And um basically just jumped right in. I was staying in international housing. So I was in a dorm that did have other Americans. Most of them were in my fraud mm-hmm. program and they weren't supposed to speak English. They're only supposed to speak French. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, you know, pretty many friends in the dorm, but I got connected right away with the American Cathedral in Paris, and I sang in the choir there, and I was able to practice on the organ there, and I played on their evensong organ recital series. And then my second year there, I ended up at St. George's Anglican Church, because mm-hmm. another student had been playing there, and he had moved back to England. So then I was playing for the Anglican Church, so I had all of my friends there. So definitely the church connections helped a lot. And then also within the organ studio, I can't remember exactly how many students we had, but it wasn't very many. Um, but I became friends with some of the other organ students, and you know, they would try to help me with French, and I would help them with English. And it was just a really supportive, great atmosphere.
0: Um. Fantastic! I can understand that uh, that uh, lots and lots of uh, uh, international students were there probably, and you were there like a one big big f- family, right? Yes,
1: there were students from Korea. Mm-hmm
0: and uh, how was madame uh, uh where was she, her her uh, focus uh, on uh, was he teaching you was she teaching you only the repertoire or improvisation as well mostly french music or other music as well
1: um actually only repertoire mm-hmm. um and actually when i got there one of the first things that i did was um bach trio sonata and books do it like we started with you know, German rock music, mm-hmm. and then did more with French music. I did um, Franck's E minor chorale, and I actually got to play that at St. Clotilde, so that was really exciting. Um, really, just lots of everything. And then um, everything there was more focused before, towards competitions,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then we also had weekly class recitals that were open to the public,
2: ah. so...
1: So you had to learn your repertoire very fast and play it. You know, you never totally felt like you were ready in what I was used to in the United States. Where, uh, you know, you prepare recital, you, you know sort of build up to it. It was just suddenly you're performing this. And so it was all very, very fast.
0: Right, right. Uh, I bet you had a lot, a lot of uh, pieces to to, to sight read as well, Right.
1: Yes, and that's actually when my sight-reading skills really, really developed. But I remember when I got back, and I finished there, and then I started the DMA at UNL, that I was able to learn repertoire much faster than when I had just done my master's program.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So I suspect you would advise organists to take uh, sight-reading challenge very seriously, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Go about uh, uh, sight reading regularly, probably, right?
1: Yes, yes. So you have the balance of sight reading and then also your practicing techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was in Paris in this big city and we didn't have, there were a couple of practice organs, but it was almost impossible to get in there. So that's when I got connected with a church so I could practice there. Really, it was the second year at the Anglican church. I actually had a regular set practice time at an instrument so I had to do a lot with analyte score analysis and you know really focus on where the hard parts are mm-hmm. and at the end of the program, when have the end of the year exam everyone plays the same program and you have five weeks to prepare it and you know as soon as the list is posted you just get your scores out and you start figuring out how am I going to learn this and have this really prepared uh-huh. for this exam.
0: So in the exam you're saying everybody played the same pieces right? Like a competition. Yes. Aha. Yes. Uh-huh. So for, a very, very competitive in environment, probably. Right. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Uh, how did that affect your your freedom as the as an artist? Basically, were you happy to play uh, every everything that everybody else was playing?
1: Well, you only did that for the exams mm-hmm. or the competitions. In a lot of the competitions, you still had choices. You know, it's like you play one of these four one of these four in each of the different sets so those weren't totally the same
2: mm-hmm. so the
1: rest of the time you you worked on you know different different repertoire so you weren't always doing the same it was just at the end the entrance exams and the end of the year exams that were exactly the same or if you were in the same competition that had the same you might have a little bit of overlap but that that was definitely a, a different concept because i was used to in the united states everybody was playing different all
2: the time
0: right right uh, uh, this competitive atmosphere really uh, pulls everything together f- helps you focus on on what's the most important probably and tell me this Heather uh, did you have any uh, theory music theory classes or harmony in Paris no I didn't
1: have any of that there because I already had a master's degree mm-hmm. um, that was all waived. like I, I didn't have the um, ear training and sightseeing solfege mm-hmm. type classes that the other students had, I actually think it probably would have been helpful if I had gone through that mm-hmm. in Paris, but I didn't I only had lessons and I had um, lessons at the same time, which was more technique based just to really work up my my um
0: technique. Right. Uh, the reason I'm asking you this because because usually uh, music theory, good theory background and harmony background, really does help w- with learning the pieces, right, and sight reading yes. as well. Yes. Yes. Um, did you have that uh, uh, that uh, that you previously m- mastered and uh, had experience with music theory? It really helped you learn pieces quicker faster, I mean. Yes, in this yes, way. yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, knowledge.
0: Yes. Um, so, Heather, what happened uh, later uh, when you uh, came back uh, from France?
1: So when I came back from France, I got married to my high school sweetheart. We actually got engaged in Paris when he came to visit me. Uh-huh. And... and um, I was the organ scholar at St. Cecilia's Cathedral in Omaha for three years, coursework, and they got the new posse organ there while I was there, so that was absolutely amazing to um, watch that being installed and able to play on that and play on the Mean Tone organ and um, did my three years there, and then I moved to Arizona because my husband was out here. And... um, at uh, Lutheran Church for about six years and um, played piano with the Phoenix Girls Chorus and went on all their tours. And then, after having two kids, it was time to stay home more. So, I um, got my job at St. Thomas the Apostle. Uh-huh. And I played there on the weekends. And um, we do lots of great music there. We did the Juraflay Requiem uh-huh. for a concert last spring and also in July at a conference. So I played that with the chamber orchestra and
0: large choir. Uh Uh, You mentioned St. Cecilia Cathedral in Omaha. Uh, I remember uh, when we first came to to Lincoln um, uh, with Oshra, Pamela Reuter-Finstra just mentioned uh, briefly to us that Heather... Hernandez is in actually in Omaha witnessing the construction process of this fabulous organ, and we should get in touch with you, right? And uh, <laughs> yeah. you, you basically you know all all about that instrument from inside out, right? Uh, did you appreciate uh, uh, at that time the dual temperament that it has?
1: Yes, because I was actually I think that was about the time I was working on an early music um, recital for my DMA program. So I was able to play Huda and things in Mean Tone there. So it was very exciting. Mm,
0: fantastic. Uh, and of course, uh, you could play not only on the Mean Tone uh, temperament, but you could engage uh, some well-tempered pieces for, for yes. later, later yes. music, right?
1: Yes, what, like my going away recital, I was able to play a big... Um, work by Naji Hakim mm-hmm. in Organo Cordis a e Coro and you know that worked just as well as the book stewarda. I
0: know I know Naji Hakim has special place in your career right in his music uh, can you tell us a little bit uh, who first introduced his music to you
1: and uh, that was actually when I was in Paris my first year there was going to be a 2 week school vacation so all the french students were going off on holiday and um, I was still going to be around and Najee Hakim was going to do a recording of his music at La Trinite and he needed somebody to turn pages and help with registration changes and I was chosen so I met him there and he just started playing and I was just amazed by his music and his playing and his improvisation skills and Mm -hmm. just the entire experience.
0: Uh, Was his playing and improvisation um, in the same style that he wrote later, uh, his pieces? Me? Yes. Do you think the same? Uh Aha, because um, sometimes people uh, maybe hesitate to use the same writing style in their uh, improvisations because their uh, fantasies, uh, um, creative uh, abilities are so much more uh, maybe advanced on the writing Writing part, than to on the uh, performing part, right? S- but you're yes. you're saying that his per, uh, improvisational music I- was or is basically very similar, same, to stuff. His sort of same stuff, right? So yes. so can you say us a little bit uh, a little bit of uh, how you would uh, describe his music?
1: Um, very jazz-like, rhythmic, exciting. Um, obviously, it's got contemporary harmonies. Um, I fell in love with all the chant based works, mm-hmm. um, which is what I ended up doing my research on. Um, and just lots of contrast, lots of colors. Lots of um, colors, yeah. Yeah, what, his reactions are very specific
0: and of course uh, all the french music is very very colorful that's uh, thanks to special modes that they use right mm-hmm. uh, yes. they they of course it all comes from from uh, Durf, uh, from uh, ravel and probably debussy and other uh, people at r- around that p- period right uh, but najeh akims uh, uh, did you did you find his, his, his choral based or chant based works um Using uh, special French kind of modes.
1: Um, not specifically French. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went back more to the Gregorian chant mm-hmm. mode, but, but still has more poly harmonies. So um. A lot of uh,
0: French composers. A lot of Fre- French composers write uh, uh, their music in a very. Uh, I would say free manner right Uh, for example let's say Tournemir right it's very difficult to analyze uh, music of Tournemir because it it basically resists analysis because it's so improvisational did you find that uh, Naji Hakim's music also is difficult to analyze
1: Yes, in fact I did it more with, you know, here is the chant melody and instead of a traditional type of harmonization with it, it was more melodic patterns, um rhythmic patterns, you know, the use of repeated notes, mm-hmm. sequences more and more, you know, mm-hmm. broken down to fragments of little mm-hmm. melodic
0: so basically, uh, he would use the chant material as the the resource for fragmentation, basically, right? Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly.
0: Fragmentation, not necessarily to use the the entire chant throughout and harmonize uh, note by note, right? But uh, break it down into many, many pieces, different pieces, and make uh, improvisations based on those fragments, on those motives, right? Exactly. hmm Very clever technique because it's it, it keeps uh, uh, playing and uh, and the piece sounding so fresh because you can you can uh, play one episode based on one fragment and another suddenly change something on another motive and uh, and you can play entire maybe ten or fifteen minute piece. Uh, in a very, very unpredictable manner. That's what I like about French music. It's very unpredictable, don't you say?
1: Yes, yes very much so. Very exciting and the listener doesn't you know, totally know what to expect either. So it's exciting to play it and excited to, exciting to listen to it too.
0: hmm Fantastic! I'm so great uh, uh, grateful that uh, that you had the privilege, uh, basically, to study uh, his works and got uh, probably received some advice from the master himself, right? Yes,
1: uh, I was in with him when I first you know got into well, his music, and his actually sent me a bunch of scores and um, I would go still playing at La Trinité there, so I would go and I would attend baths and just watch his improvisations. It was just a very exciting time for me.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And, uh, of course, uh, your uh, uh, your responsibilities uh, mostly involve uh, work with the choir, right? W- w- accompanying the choir. Accompanying the choir. Do you think uh, that... Um, Acquire p- uh, accompaniment uh, is um, is um, very easy skill, or or you you need to to really learn that the trade craft basically also.
1: I think you have to learn it, and basically I just learned it with lots of experience. Like I said, I've been playing for church since I was thirteen, and I was sort of thrown into it because the organist left for a different church. Mm-hmm and I started playing once a month and then suddenly I was playing every Sunday I actually was an instrumentalist so I was always in band I did play in the handbell choir but I hadn't been a choral mm-hmm. I had joined the church choir when I began. Right. And so it took me a while to learn that
0: uh-huh. Uh huh, And Heather, of course, uh, you have a, um, a very active uh, family life, right? So can you tell oh, yeah. us a little bit, uh, how do you manage uh, to combine active family life with your responsibilities as an organist and accompaniment, accompanist?
1: Well, we finally got an electronic organ at home, just so I had something to practice on. When I first moved here, we didn't even have a piano, mm-hmm. so it was very difficult, I had to church a lot to practice. Then we got a Yamaha Clavinova, So I would have a small keyboard to practice on and at least be able to play some piano repertoire. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to a larger house. We got an organ used off of Craigslist. that has got two manuals and pedals so I can at least learn notes here. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then we inherited a grand piano from my husband's grandmother. So now we have that too. So I also have the piano, which has made it a lot Easier, particularly on the French music I like practicing that on the piano And really getting my technique And the notes Mm -hmm. all set Before I put it all together at the organ Um, I also had to do that a lot in Paris So that's what I'm used to Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, So I am able to practice at home And the kids sleep upstairs And the organ's downstairs So I don't have to worry about it being late at night So that has helped a lot Um, And I was at the I was the director of music So I did all the planning and the playing and uh, that took a lot of time and now i am only the organist and i have a director of music who does all the planning so time-wise that helps a lot i'm just mm-hmm. responsible for my preludes and my postludes and my own practicing of the choral music but i don't have to go to any of the liturgy meetings or do any of the music planning mm-hmm. so that has helped a lot balance to balance my time with and, the kids and probably
0: and am i correct to say that uh, Uh, balancing the time or finding the time to to practice is probably the most uh, important challenge uh, for a family person.
1: Yes, yes so you know I I only have right now my preschooler only goes four days a week in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. next year he'll be in all day kindergarten and then my first grader he goes all day so I really only have a little bit of time in the afternoon, Monday, Thursday when I don't have to worry about any interruptions with kids, and of course, when the kids are here, I want to be doing activities with them and helping them with things. I'm teaching my seven-year-old piano, so we have to work on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's that's been the hardest time, but you pretty much have to make a schedule and just mm-hmm. figure out, all right, this is my practice time, and it's like anything else, if you're like, oh, I'm too tired, I don't feel like practicing, but you know, you have something coming up, like I have confirmation. Right. To mass tomorrow, so I'm practicing for that. So. Usually once you just get there and you sit down and you you know, you know, get to work.
0: Right. You, you keep professional attitude, right? Whether you are yeah. tired or not tired is not too important because uh, the deadline is coming up, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So particularly when we were doing the Ge- Requiem concert, that took a lot more practice time than I had done for years. <laughs> and I really had to make a schedule and stick with it. Otherwise, I knew we were going to get to this public performance, and I
2: wasn't going
0: to be ready. Uh huh. That's right. But, uh, but as a family person, uh, for example, what do you find the most inspiring for you as as an organist, as a company, too? Uh, do th- do your family support you in your in your playing uh, responsibilities, or do you say, "Oh, mommy, please uh, uh, give <laughs> us an attention that we need." I'm
1: um, actually they're very supportive of it. Supportive. Um, Christmas is always a hard time because, you know, they are all into Santa, and the fun things at home, and I'm at church for midnight mass half the night, and then I go back for Christmas day mass, and then I come home and I'm, you know, for and that's hard, and Holy Week is is hard, because we have the tritium, tritium, and um, through Easter, so we have the long Easter vigil, and, you know, they basically don't see me much for four days when they used to see me a lot. but, as they get older, they're you know understanding how all that mm-hmm. that works too. And then whenever I have extra things like confirmation, first communion mass, tomorrow I'll be gone for that. But they also get the the religious aspect of it too.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's helpful.
0: Fantastic! So thank you so much, uh, Heather, for your insights, for your time, for generosity of sharing ideas. That's so great that you gave us a little bit of your uh, busy life, uh, family life, uh, to, to to share your ideas with the world. That's so uh, so amazing. Thank you so much, Heather. Well,
1: thank you, Vidas. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again.
0: Right, and uh, for our closing of conversation can you give us uh, a link or a place where people can find you and your work online?
1: I'm pretty much on Facebook, it's just Heather Hernandez, I think it says Heather Harrington in parentheses, that was my maiden name. Um, that's pretty much where I mm-hmm. do all the social stuff. I do have a Twitter account that I don't use very much. Mm-hmm. I'm also a independent consultant for 31Gifts. Mm-hmm. To give me some work at home opportunities, so I also have all of my business things for that. But um, not only oh. Facebook, I got tons of organists that are my Facebook friends all the country. It's very exciting and keeps me in the loop with the organ world.
0: Great. Uh, I'll make sure I'll include all those links that you mentioned in the description of our conversation. Uh, but tell us a little bit. Uh, can people uh, find your your book uh, on, on Naji Hakim's uh, organ music uh, online?
1: Yes, actually, mm-hmm. um, that was republished as a book. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly the exact year. I think it was 2008, um, and it's um, sold on, on Amazon. And Hakim, um, I can't remember. I think they changed the title a little bit, so I'd have to get you the exact title, but it's Great. basically discussion of three chant-based works and Najee Hakim's Improvisation Companion book.
0: Fantastic. I will find this book and uh, uh, direct our listeners to to this book uh, on Amazon excellent fantastic thank you so much Heather for our inspiring conversation i think uh, in in summing it up uh, it it show, it shows for people around the world how you have to be focused uh, and and grateful for the family uh, life that you have and uh, focused for the time right uh, with the time that you uh, have uh, a little bit uh, here and there it really helps right you don't have maybe many hours a day to practice but you use the time available very wisely, right?
1: Yes, yes. Use the time um, wisely. Also plan ahead. So I might be practicing something I won't play for a post for two months.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. You, you are very, very f- focused and uh, planning uh, very far in advance, right? So that your deadline is not so surprising to you, but it's like a step-by-step approach, right?
1: Yes, especially if one of the kids gets sick and is home from school, which has just happened twice in the last month, Mm -hmm. then, you know, you still have the flexibility in your schedule that you can deal with anything that comes up but still get your work done.
0: Fantastic! So I wish Heather all the creative uh, bravery that you can master this year and the next, also, and uh, keep playing, keep finding that uh, that time, and uh, enjoy the family life, and uh, share your ideas with your congregation, share your music. I I am sure they they are very appreciative of what you're doing. Oh yes always thank you so much bye bye okay
2: thank you
0: if you liked this conversation i encourage you to visit my blog secrets of organ playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights practical advice and training for every area of organ playing You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Spinkavitus. Thanks for listening.
2: And I'll catch you online really soon.